We're in part two of our series of James. We're studying through the book of James and learning what does James have to say to us as what it looks like to live a life for Jesus. Let me pray, and we'll dive into part two today. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for what we call the Bible, that we not just uh, are, are told what to do, but we're, we're shown how to live. We learn the truths of you and our world and God, how to navigate through that. So thank you so much for what we're going to read today. I pray it goes beyond just reading for information. I pray it goes beyond just learning. I pray it moves to action. God, I believe with all of my heart that you have something specific to say to each and every one of us. So Lord, we are listening, and we know that you are speaking. So help us to hear what you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So this was a few years ago, probably three-ish, three or four years ago, uh, we decided to take our family to Disney World. That was very new for us. We had heard all the both sides, the horror stories and the wonderful stories. So we're like, let's do it. So we planned this big thing, big reveal for our kids, and they were all excited to go to Disney World. But then a reality set in for me as dad is, oh, like I have to plan this thing. It's not just you show up, right? And if you've never been to Disney World, I'll give you that heads up. You don't just show up. This is months and months and months of planning and preparing and physically preparing for the demand, uh, demands of Disney World. So I started the planning process and was totally in over my head totally overwhelmed. Well, where are we supposed to stay? And which parks do we go to? And what's the right things for our age of kids? And, and what about food? And what are we allowed to do? And what can't we do? And, like it was overwhelming to try to plan this short, costly trip to Disney World. I was like, for what we're spending, we're not going to waste a minute. So we have to have this thing planned out. But I was in over my head. I'd never been there with kids before. And a lot had changed since I was a kid. So it was a whole new world. Do you see what I did there? Some of you will get that at lunch today. You're welcome. It's totally different. So I was like, what am I going to do? I started talking with some friends that were avid Disney goers. And they said, Brian, you're doing this all wrong. You're trying to do this by yourself. And they leaned in like this was a secret. You need to go to Mouse Savers website. I'm like, what is this thing? And they're like, just go. So I log in and I go to Mouse Savers website. It's like a blog. And on this, I mean, there's nothing fancy about it. I mean, it's not this like top-notch website, but it had everything I could possibly ask for. It was like new to taking kids to Disney World. Click here. I'm like, yes. So I would click there. It was like, are you trying to figure out which parks to go to? Yes. I would click there. Are you trying to figure out which rides to take your kids on and in what order? Yes! So I would click on all of these links and it like planned out our entire trip. It told us where we should stay and the best deals for where we were going to stay. And they gave the little hacks of, now if you stay here, guess what you get? You get magic hour. I'm like, what is this thing called magic hour? Like there's all these great things they would walk you through on what to do and where to stay. So I started taking notes. I put in my phone like all the things and it planned out which rides you go to first and then in what order. Because then you got to go to this one while you have a fast pass waiting for this one. But I think that's changed. So I'm going to have to relearn this if we ever go again. So like all these things. So we finally get to Disney World. I'm like, it's like... Like, Dad, we're excited. Where are we going to go? I was like, hang on. Here's where we go first. Follow me, kids. We would go and do one thing. Then we'd go do another. Like, we want ice cream. I'm like, hang on. That was in here. Oh, here's where we're supposed to get ice cream because this is where it's cheaper and there's not as many lines here. And we go to this one and not that one because nobody knows about this place. 
And all of a sudden, like we were actually doing Disney. And I'm like, this is amazing. We would start going on a ride and we would go in the short line because we had the whole fast pass thing figured out. And my kids would look at everybody else in this massive line and says, dad, why don't we have to wait in there? I said, because your dad's smart. I did my homework. Take notes, kids. Like, I felt so great about it. We ended up having a great time, but we had to make sure we knew how to navigate it well. I say all of that because for some reason, when we walk through this life that we have never experienced before, that we are most certainly in over our head with, and it gets extremely overwhelming, for some reason, we feel like, nope, I got it. I'm just going to wake up today and figure it out. And we walk into something that is overwhelming and unknown, and we think we can handle it on our own. The great aspect that we're going to see from James today is we have been given God's word to help. God's word does just that. Ben Stewart, another pastor at a church, he's, he talks about God's word in this way, and I love how he said it. So let me say it from his, from his words. He said, God's word gives us the truth about reality and the ability to navigate it well. I love that. It, sometimes we get stuck on just one or the other. Well, it just provides truth and knowledge and understanding. Yes, it most certainly does. That's where we find truth. But if we're not actually using it, it's not very helpful. So that other part is, is crucial, but also the ability to navigate life well, to navigate the realities well, to navigate through the uncertainties and the unknowns well, God's word tells us and shows us the truth about reality and gives us the ability to navigate it well. Here's what we, we read in 2 Timothy chapter 3, different language, but points to here's what God's word is intended to be in our lives. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful. It's helpful. It helps us navigate through this life. Look at what it's useful for. It's useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives. So it even teaches us internally. It corrects us when we are wrong, but teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people, that's us, to do every good work. See, God's word is not just a book to read. It is God's word of truth that he uses to teach us, correct us, grow us, develop us, and prepare us to do what he's called us to do. Again, God's word shows us and tells us the truth about reality and gives us the ability to navigate it well. James speaks a lot to God's word in the scriptures. In fact, like I said, we're, we're picking up where we left off in our study of James. And the whole idea that James is getting at is to help us realize the living proof of our salvation, the living proof of our faith. Had last week, you, you check your pulse, right? You have a pulse, and that is proof. That's evidence that you are physically alive. You feel the breath coming in and out of your mouth. That is evidence. That's proof that you are physically alive. Spiritually speaking, what does it look like to be alive in Christ? What is the heartbeat of someone who is alive in Christ? What does the breath feel like for somebody that is alive in Christ? That's what James is helping us see. I said it last week, James is challenging in his words. He is convicting in his words. And it's very practical in a lot of the do this and don't do that. But the focus is not on what we do. The focus is on the who we are. Because it's out of who we are that we begin to show the living proof. 
because we are saved, because we are alive in Christ, this is what our life now looks like, the new life that Jesus has given us because of his grace. So as we go through the second part of James today, keep that in mind. Not just what we do, but who we are. What is the living proof that we are alive in Christ? So if you have your Bible, James chapter 1, we didn't make it all the way through chapter 1 last week, so we're going to pick up where we left off. Will be James chapter 1, starting in verse 18. If you don't have a Bible, make sure you grab yours. It's our gift to you out in the lobby. There's a stack of Bibles. Those are there for you to take. Take home, use it, read it, mark it up, bring it back with you every week. Verse 18, he, God, chose to give birth or give life to us by giving us his true word. See, that's where life begins, when he gives us his word. And we, out of all of creation, became his prized possession. We talked about that last week, that we are his James called himself a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. He gave his life to Jesus. We, as believers, give our lives to Christ. We are his. Now, out of that, verse 19, James gets very specific on what that begins to look like. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives, and now look what we fill it with. Look at this next part. And humbly accept the word that God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. Did you catch that? Humbly accept God's word. God's word that has been planted in your hearts, it gives you life, right? This helps us navigate the realities that we are sinners, that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of eternal life through Jesus is found in grace. So what do we do? We humbly accept God's word. What does that living proof look like? If you are alive in Christ, what does the world see? The world sees that we humbly accept God's word. Let's talk about that first part, that phrase, humbly accept. To humbly accept means you don't just say, yep, got it. The humility is vital here. Because humbling, we've talked about this before, humbling yourself requires me to put myself under the authority of someone or something else. That's what it means to humble yourself. You're giving authority to someone else. So in regards to scripture, we humble ourselves under the authority of scripture. I don't have to like everything I read in God's word, but I've humbly accepted his word in my life. I don't have to agree with everything. I humbly accept his word. I don't have to understand everything, even though I would love to. But that's what it means to humble yourself. We humble ourselves under God's word, and we accept that. We receive that. But notice the language that James uses. Humbly accept the word, the word that God has, and do you remember that he has planted in your heart? See, this shows us that God's word is more than just a book to read. It's more than just a lesson to be learned. It's more than just history to take note of. No, this is God's word that is planted in you. And I love that he used the word plant here. Because you don't have to be a gardener to understand how planting works. When something is planted, it then begins to take root. And as it takes root, it begins to grow. And as it grows, it produces life, produces fruit. That's what God's word does in us. When we humbly accept God's word, it goes down deep into our hearts. It takes root. It begins to grow in us and it produces things in us and through us. Those two parts that we read at the beginning, you must be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. That's not a checkbox to say, make sure you do this. 
Make sure that you're quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Now, that sounds good, and yes, our lives should look like that, but it's not just try really hard to do it. It is the result of what's been planted in you. The fact that as Christians, we are called to live in this way, that our lives should look like this, to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, is not because we work hard at it. It's because God's word has been planted in us, and that's the result of God's word in our life. That's a product of God's word being planted in you. That next part where we are told to get rid of or get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives, that's not just a try really hard to get rid of certain things that we are called not to have. Again, it's the result, it's the product of God's word being planted and rooted in your lives. And as God's word grows in you, things begin to change. Life begins to happen out of you. So James is pointing to the product, he's pointing to the fruit, but he's saying that's because God's word's been planted in you, and it's taken root, and it has grown. Now again, you don't have to be an incredible gardener to understand how plants and seeds work. Soil is super important, we all recognize that. So the soil in which that word of God, that seed is planted, makes all the difference. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to hit a timeout with James for a quick second, right? So put a thumb in that one, and we're going to go to Mark chapter 4 for a second. We're going to do a little bit of a detour. I think it's going to be helpful to understand what James is really getting at, because this is common language throughout the Gospels, that God's word is the seed planted in us. But we have to look at the soil. The soil would be the condition of our heart. If we are to humbly accept God's word, well, what's the condition? What's the heart posture that we are accepting God's word? Jesus speaks to this and uses an incredible parable. We don't have time to go through the whole parable. Read it on your own, Mark chapter 4. But basically what Jesus does is he tells this fictional story that describes these different soils or these different heart conditions that we have when we hear about the word of God. He gives four examples. He said one example of soil is the, is the path, that God's word can be told and it just lands on the path, a walking path. The second one is that the word of God can be spoken and it, it is received on the rocky soil. That rocky soil is really shallow. It's not able to take good, uh, not able to have deep roots. The third soil is soil that, that looks good, but it ends up being choked. That word, that plant that begins to grow gets choked out by all the weeds and the thorns that are around it. And then we're left with the fourth soil, a good soil that produces life, produces a crop. We see Jesus explain this. Let me, I do want to read the explanation. Here's how Jesus explains this parable. Verse 14 out of Mark chapter 4. Jesus says, The farmer plants seed by taking God's word to others. So the seed represents God's word. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message only to have Satan come at once and take it away. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and look, receive, immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for, being God's, for believing in God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns, the third soil, represents others who hear God's word, but all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth and the desire for other things. So look, no life, no fruit is produced. Fourth soil, verse 20. And the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept. Remember what James said, humbly accept, not just hear about it, but hear it and accept. Represents the soil for those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much has been planted. You see the difference there between those four? 
God's word has been planted in all of us, how do we receive it? Like James is telling us, we need to humbly accept it. That would be the fourth soil, where life is produced, where fruit is produced, but it comes from God's word planted in your heart. Let me just ask a rhetorical question. What is the condition of your heart in, in reference to the, the soils Jesus referred to? Do you feel like your heart is receiving God's word, but man, it's just not going very deep? Every time I face a problem, I'm just like, ah, this isn't it. This is, there has to be another way. God's not fill in the blank, whatever our expectations might be. Is your heart that soil that, man, you receive it, but there's a lot of other things you're also accepting in your heart? And all of a sudden, God's word starts to get choked out by all the other things in life. How would you describe your heart today? And can we be willing to get to a place where we say we humbly accept God's word? Because we're alive in Christ, what does the, the, the living proof look like? It looks like us humbly accepting God's word, and we begin to see the fruit from it. Here's the second part. All right, back to James. Mark chapter 4, though, if you want to go through that, it's a great study on your own. Back to James, we're told this. So we humbly accept God's word, but look what James says. He kind of pushes in and leans in a little bit more, verse 22. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. And then he gives this, this kind of ridiculous example to, to, to prove a point. He says, otherwise you're only fooling yourselves for if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, you walk away and you forget what you look like. Now, James brings up that ridiculous example because it is ridiculous. He's like, none of us would ever do that. He's expecting the readers of his letter to be like, oh, like no one would ever do that, James. And he's like, exactly, no one would ever do that. So just as we see ourselves in the mirror, we expect full-heartedly that we would walk away and still remember. He compares that to how we approach God's word. We don't just listen to it. We listen and do what it says. And James's point is it would be ridiculous not to. Like if you listen to God's word and don't do what it says, it's just as ridiculous as if you were to look, yourself, look at yourself in the mirror, walk away and forget what you look like. He's like, that wouldn't happen. Yet sometimes we do just that. We hear God's word. We listen to God's word. But we're like, oh, I don't know if I can put that into practice. James is calling us out. Here's where it gets a little challenging and convicting, me included. It's not just listening. It's doing. There has to be action and application that goes with it. Now, in our world today, and as Christians, we, we tend to do this too at times, we can view God's word, as we would call the Bible, we view that as just a book of rules, we can see all the commands and all the rules and all the regulations, and we see how restrictive it is, that God is just giving us a book full of do's and don'ts. You have to do this, and you're not allowed to do this. Don't even think about these things, and make sure you're always doing these things. And if we're not careful, we begin to view God's word as restrictive and even oppressive. We say, God, just, just leave me alone. Let, tell me what I absolutely have to know. Let's focus on the love thing, and let me live my life the way that I want to. And too often we view God's word as nothing but rules and regulations, restrictions and commands. I tried to do something uh, over the weekend, completely failed at it. I'm sure I didn't do this very well. I tried to come up with a complete list of rules for parents if you have kids. So as my list goes right now, um, I'm at 54. 
I'm pretty sure I missed about 450 more, but as far as I can at least come up with, I've come up with 54 rules and regulations and restrictions that all parents need to, if they want to be considered a good parent, have to abide by. Let me just read a few. I'm not going to go through all 54, but if you want my list later, you can. Here's what I got so far. Feed them. Notice, not fill them up. There's a distinction there. My kids are getting older. We do not have a rule in our house where I have to fill you up. If you eat dinner and you tell me you're hungry, I've done my job. You'll be fine until breakfast. So we feed them. Depending on their age, you also wipe them. Help them with their homework. Treat them well. Make them laugh. Listen to them. Tell them they're amazing. Tell them they're appreciated. Discipline them. Buy them things. That could go back and forth, but I think there's some truth to that. Uh, don't lie, don't be mean, don't use harsh words, be helpful, pray for them, pray with them, be the spiritual leader. Uh, when they're sick, take care of them. Uh, don't talk bad about them in front of other, anybody else. Don't hit them, don't push them, don't throw things at them, don't scream or yell at them, don't be sarcastic with them. Uh, say I'm sorry and actually mean it. Uh, what else? Don't have unrealistic expectations. Take care of them financially. That's not supposed to be on here. I need a pen. Let me cross that one out. <laughs> Uh, take time together with them, listen to them and ask them questions, watch shows that they like, uh, be interested in what they're interested in. Like we go on and on and on, right? And if we just looked at the rules for being a parent, the restrictions that come in place for being a parent, we could look at being a parent with our kids and says, this is ridiculous. Like I have to do all of these all the time. There's no way. Like, what happened to the life that I want to live? What happened to the things that I want to do? We don't view parenting in that way. We don't always view parenting in that way, do we? I mean, yes, there's rules. We know that our life has drastically changed when we have kids. But I don't walk around with my list of like, all right, let's see. Connor, I need to make sure that I um, am honest with you today. So let me, no, I don't carry a list around. I'm not viewing my relationship with my kids as a rule-based relationship. There's a different word that we use, love. Because I love my kids, I listen to them. Because I love my kids, I'm helpful. Because I love my kids, I don't hit them and push them and throw things at them. Because I love them. The things that I do come out of a loving heart. Our relationship with, kid, with our kids as parents is not rule-based, it is love-based. But yes, there are still rules and restrictions and regulations in how we love our kids. In our relationship with Jesus, your relationship with him is not intended to be a, rep, a relationship of rules. It is a relationship that is based on the exact same word, love. In fact, Jesus tells us that. Right? There's this Pharisee, this religious leader that comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, like, there's all of these rules. There's all of these commands. There's actually 600 of them, over 600 of them in the Jewish law. Out of all of those, Jesus, what's the most important one? If you're going to be a good follower of God, what's the most important rule to follow? Here's Jesus' reply. Many of you know this. Let's read it. Let me read it with you. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. That's the first and greatest commandment. You start there. See, all of those rules, all of those commands should come out of a place of love. Because I love God, this is what I choose to do. Jesus goes on. He says, the second one is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. So that's where love comes in. We love God and we love others. But that doesn't mean there are no 
rules. There, there are commands that he gives us. In fact, Jesus goes on. Oftentimes we like to stop at that verse, but there's one more verse that Jesus, that Jesus speaks to. He goes on and says, the entire law, all of those rules, all of those regulations, all of those commands, the entire law and uh, the demands of all the prophets, look, they are all based on these two commandments. So everything that we might view as a, as a rule or a command or a restriction in how we live our life, God's like, but if you love me, this is how you live. If you love me, this is how you walk. If you love me, this is how you talk. If you love me, this is what your life begins to look like. That living proof of your love is in those actions or in those commands. And what happens over time, this creates a beautiful picture of true love. Do you know pictures and images, they all have to have lines, right? There has to be distinct lines, and that's what actually creates an image and creates a picture. The most beautiful picture of love has lines, has boundaries, it is not just us to do whatever we want. We are called to live differently because of love. So what does that living proof look like? What is James getting at? Simply, but difficult to live out, is to faithfully obey God's word. Faithfully obey God's word. Faithfully means consistently and over time and even when we don't fully understand. Obey, we know what that means, we just don't like what it means. It's what James said. Don't just listen to the word of God you must do what it says. But again, it comes out of a place of love. We faithfully obey God's word because he first loved us and we love him with all of our heart, with all of our strength, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. We treat others the way that Christ treated us because we are to love one another as ourselves. Love your neighbor as yourself. It comes back to love, but that doesn't erase any of the ways that we are called to live. It doesn't get rid of the rules and the commands that we are to follow because that's what the picture of love truly looks like. All right, third part, you should keep reading, verse 25. So we have the idea that God's word is planted in our hearts, but it's how are we gonna receive it? How do we accept it? What's our heart condition? Then James says, but you can't just accept it and hear it and listen to it. You actually have to live it out. You have to obey it, faithfully obey God's word. This last part that James points to is our approach to God's word. Like that's the if your kids have ever done this one where it's, uh, they'll obey, but it's like this. You know what I'm talking about? Like, so then you go back and you say, okay, right thing, wrong way. <laughs> it's, I want you to obey, but with the right heart, with the right attitude, right, the right temperament. So we can't just, I hear you, God, and I'm going to obey you, but I don't have to like you right now. Like, that's not the right approach. So James is helping us see the right approach. Listen to his words here. Verse 25, but if you look carefully, that's a word to circle, we're gonna talk a lot about it, but if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you've heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Then he gives us, again, some fruit. What's the product? What's the result of doing just that? He gives us some specific examples. Verse 26, if you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you're only fooling yourself, and your religion is worthless, harsh and true. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God, the Father means caring for orphans and widows and their distress. And look at this last part, and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Again, those are not like, oh, I need to like work really hard on my language. I need to work really hard too. No, those are, that's a byproduct. That's a result. That's what's produced when God's word is planted in your heart and you humbly accept it. And when you listen, you act. You don't just hear those are all products of what God is putting in us through his word. I told you I want to look at that first part, that if we carefully 
look at God's word. That's talking about how we approach the word of God. And here in our English version, we use the word carefully. Not a very helpful word, because carefully can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people in a lot of different contexts. Does that mean that we are to physically be careful with the Bible and like don't rip any pages and make sure that it's not, no, it's not talking about how we physically treat the Bible. So what does carefully mean? To truly know, we got to go back to the original language that was written in Greek. And that original language means something more specific than just be careful. The original word there means to stoop, to stoop. Now, I am a short person, so I rarely have to ever stoop. But theoretically, if I would have to, let's picture a door that's shorter than I am. I don't think they exist. In order to go through the door, I have to stoop. So stooping would look something like this. Bend down, stick your leg out, and you stoop under the door. Right? That's what it means to stoop. It literally means to bend your body. The word stoop, bent body. So let me read what James is saying, but with that context in mind. So he might say, and, and our language to better understand it, would say, but as you look and approach God's perfect law that sets you free, you must carefully bend your body to God's word. Now that means something a little bit different, doesn't it? See, oftentimes when we read God's word, in order to do what it says, we read it and you're like, hmm, I don't think I like that part. And you know what? This was written a long time ago and like it's 2022. So how about we bend God's word to fit me today? Not what God calls us to do. We are to stoop, which requires us to bend to God's word, not God's word to bend to us. It's a great quote. I want to read it to you in just a second, but I need to give you a little context to who she is first, so it hopefully carries a little bit more weight. Elizabeth Elliot probably doesn't mean a lot to really any of us in the room. Her husband, Jim Elliot, that might ring a bell just for a few of you. If you've seen the movie End of the Spear, that's who we're talking about. If you still have no idea who and what I'm talking about, sometime today, just Google Elliot End of the Spear. And what you'll find is an incredible story. It's actually been made into a movie that's pretty close to, to accurate. Jim Elliott was a missionary, was killed, was murdered as he was, was telling other people the gospel in another country. Elizabeth Elliott was his wife. And after her husband was killed, she goes back to the same people that murdered her husband and told him about Jesus. And they came to know Christ because they thought, if this woman whose husband we killed can forgive us, we want to know what she has. So that's who's about to say what I'm about to share with you. But again, it's a great story. You ought to read a little bit more. Jim and Elizabeth Elliot, if you want their name. Here's what Elizabeth said. Couldn't have said any better. She said, quote, we must quit bending the word, the word of God, to suit our situation. It is we who must be bent to that word. Our necks that must bow under the yoke. Elizabeth Elliot. That's what James is getting at. Because you love, we bend. Because of the love that he first gave us, we bend to his word. Even when we don't fully understand, even when it doesn't even make very much sense, we recognize, I put my trust in you. I love you, God, and I know the love that you've had for me. So I will bend, I will stoop, I will be careful in how I approach your word. I want to help with that because 
we just read that we aren't just supposed to listen, but we're supposed to do that. So it uh, probably wouldn't be very good of me to just say, yeah, like figure it out. Like let's actually try to do that together. So let me put up four. I put these in like a, in a way that would be considered a prayer. Uh, but I would suggest, and there you could come up with a hundred other of these, that here's four good ones that I think would be helpful for when you're studying God's word. When we meet on Sundays and we open God's word, man, these prayers should be going through your head. When you're at home opening God's word, these prayers should be going through your head and your heart. Let me walk through them with you. Uh, pretty self-explanatory, but let's make sure. First one, God, what's the truth I need to know? We do not know everything. So God, what do you need to teach me? What is the truth that I need to know? Because remember what James said in this last part? He said at the very end, he said, refuse to let the world corrupt you. I mean, let's be honest. We live in a corrupt world, a broken world, a sinful world. There's a lot of deception and a lot of lies. And so we get stuck in the middle of, well, what's true and what's not true? What's good and what's not good? What's righteous and not? Like, I don't always know. So God, I need you to teach me what the truth is. Not what I think it is. God, what's the truth I need to know? Second, God, what do I need to turn from? Notice James' language again. Early on, he told us to, to remove or get rid of the filth and the evil in your lives. Well, God, like, what am I, what is that? Like, James isn't very specific yet. He'll get there, don't worry. What is that that I need to get rid of? What do I need to turn away from? But you gotta have the second part. Because whatever we turn away from, we always have to go to something. You can't just get rid of something and have a void. So God, what do I need to turn from, but what do I need to go to? Again, that's why James said, you get rid of the evil in your life, but you humbly accept the word of God that he's planted in you. So what do I need to turn from, but what do I need to turn to? What are those next steps? We talk about next steps a lot here. What's that next step that causes me to grow in my faith, to own my faith, to become more dependent and reliant and trusting of Jesus? Last one. God, what do I need to do with this? What do I need to do with it? Because I'm told I can't just hear it, I can't just listen to it, I have to do something with it. Can I just encourage you for a second? That doesn't mean that you're like to-do list today, quadruples. That's not, the, that's not the intent. Remember what we talked about at the very beginning? James's focus, he talks a lot about the what's, but it's all rooted in the who. It's who you are. And out of who you are comes what we do and how we live. So if there's some things that you're like, man, I, I don't know what to do or I know what I need to do and it's a little overwhelming, take a pause, take a time out. Begin to focus on who you are in God, that you are his child, you are his son, you are his daughter. He loves you very much. He loves you for who you are, but he refuses to leave you that way. He wants to grow you and change you and develop you into who he desires you to be. That's why he's planted his word in your heart so that it would take deep root and it would grow and you would be who he's calling you to be. You would be, as I read through the list of all the parent rules, as I follow those, I get to be the parent that my kids need. You could do that as husbands and wives. Man, all those rules that sometimes hard to follow, but I do those because I want to be that loving husband. I want to be that loving wife. I want to be that loving friend. It's all rooted in love, and he loves you no matter what. And he loves you so much, he wanted to give you a picture of love, which has lines. He wanted to give you a picture of love that is costly. Ephesians chapter 2. Let me end with this. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, we're told this. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you cannot take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Notice, salvation is not a reward. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So 
and none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew, a new life in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. That order is important. That we are saved by his grace, not by our works. But he has given us a new life. And that new life allows us to live a different life that has a different heartbeat. And the world sees those of us that would be alive in Christ and sees us as living differently. It's not because we're just keeping the rules. It's not because we're just doing what the Bible says. It's because we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, and with all of our mind. And secondly, we love our neighbor as ourselves. And out of that love, yes, we faithfully obey his word. So where are you in that journey? Are you still, as Ephesians tells us, are you still on the side of, I just need a savior. I just need that. I need that saving grace because you cannot earn it on your own. No amount of doing the right things gets you the, the deserving or the earning of heaven and eternal life. No, that's only through his grace. And if that's you, if you're still wrestling there, my goodness, it's not a special prayer. It's not a special thing. It's a heart condition that says, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need you in my life. And I can't do this on my own, so I need you to come in and forgive me of my sins and give me grace. It's gonna sound something like that. If you're a believer and you do live to love God, man, that last part of Ephesians, so that we can do the good things he planned for us long, long ago, what are those good things he desires from you? Go back to those four questions. What do I need to know? What's the truth? What do I need to walk away from? What do I need to walk to? And Lord Jesus, what do you want me to do with it? With that in mind, let me pray for you as we wrap up. God, thank you so much for your words. Oh, I pray that they are not just in one ear and out the other. These can be hard words to hear, but may we, as James tells us to, may we not just listen, may we do what they say. Not out of obligation, not out of a have to, May our relationship with you not be a rules-based relationship. It is a grace-based relationship that is built on love. First and foremost, the love that you have for us. It's because you first loved us that we love you. So out of our love for you, yes, may we faithfully obey your word. Out of our love for you, yes, may we do the good things you've called us to do. Yes, out of our love. May we continue to be who you ask us to be. Yes, it requires change. But I believe with all my heart, as we love you, our desires change, our hearts change, our thoughts change, our, our motivations change, and most certainly, most certainly our lives change. Because your word is planted in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.